Today we're talking about uh, the importance of relationships. Title of the message is, I am better together. The Bible says that God has created us for relationship. And when we are in healthy relationship, we're happiest. In 2013, there was a study that was published. The authors of the study, two of them were professors of psychiatry at the University of Michigan, and one was a a research fellow uh, with the Department of Veterans Affairs. And they, they surveyed 4,642 American adults ages 25 to 75. And, and they surveyed them first in 1995-96 and then 10 years later in 2005-2006. But the uh, study didn't get published until 2013. And they were, they were trying to discern, is there a correlation between the quality of one's relationships and depression? And they found out that Yes, there's a a correlation, a statistically significant correlation. In fact, here's what they discovered. They said that uh, those who have the the poorest quality of relationships, the lowest 10% in terms of quality of relationships in their life, were more than twice as likely to develop a major depressive disorder than those with the highest 10% quality relationship. More than twice as likely. 6.7% as opposed to 14%. And so uh, the authors of the study make statements like this. The quality of social relationships predicts future depression. That's a startling statement. The quality of your relationships can predict uh, future depression. Or this. The magnitude of effective social relationship quality on risk for depression is comparable with the effect of well-established biological risk factors for cardiovascular disease. In other words, they're saying uh, there is a, a, a very direct and strong link between the quality of your relationships and your susceptibility to depression, your emotional well-being. Now, we should not be surprised by this as Bible-believing Christians because the Bible says that we are created for relationship. And we're happiest when our relationships are healthy. So let's take a moment and uh, just kind of review some basic theology about uh, how God has designed us for relationship. So turn to the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Quick reminder, God in whose image we are created, is relational. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. So God relates to himself and always has. He's always been in relationship, and we are created in his image. Um, by the way, if somebody ever asks you, you know, oh, or, or makes the claim that the whole idea of God as uh, Trinity uh, as multiple persons, that was just uh, made up by Christians, you know, many thousands of years uh, after uh, the Jewish religion. Point them to this verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Isn't that interesting? God is uh, revealing himself as... Um, 
multiple persons from the very beginning. And so then in verse 27, we are created in God's image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, we are created for relationship, relationship with God and with other people. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, prior to Eve having been created, God makes this pronouncement. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. There's God's pronouncement on isolation. It's not good for, for us to be alone. We need relationship. Now, Adam had a relationship with God, but God is recognizing uh, we have a relationship with we, need, we have a need for a relationship with other people as well. And so he said, I'll make for him a helper fit for him. And of course, that's Eve. And what I love, though, is there's this uh, an intervening story between God saying, I'm going to make a helper, and the creation of Eve. And it's the story of Adam naming the animals. And so uh, it says, uh, God, uh, God brought to Adam... All of, the, all of the beasts of the field, every bird of the heavens, to see what he would call them. Whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. And so, God bring, Adam, Adam says, hey, there's a Mr. and Mrs. Lion. There's a Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. There's a Mr. and Mrs. Elephant. There's a Mr. and Mrs. Everything except, and then it says, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. I think the Lord used the naming of the animals to awaken within Adam an awareness of uh, his need for companionship. And God used that to, uh, to get Adam prepared to receive Eve with appropriate enthusiasm. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so God created us for a quality relationship. One flesh, naked, not ashamed. It was a, it was a gloriously harmonious relationship, a life-giving relationship, a, a joy-producing relationship. And that's what Adam and Eve had with God and they had with each other. And that's the way God designed us. God designed us for relationship. We're happiest when our relationships are of high quality. Then enters sin, right? Sin's always blowing it. Sin breaks everything. And so in the very next chapter, uh, sin enters and breaks the relationships. And so in chapter 3, we see the relationship with God breaking down. Adam and Eve hear the sound of the Lord God. I'm in chapter 3, verse 8. Walking in the cool of the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hear God walking. God did that. God used to walk in the garden and and talk with Adam and Eve because they had a relationship. And all of a sudden, they're hiding. Never done that before. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Sin 
breaks the relationship between humans and God. And the end of the chapter is God's kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden, places an angel there, they can't get back in. What about uh, the relationship between Adam and Eve? Chapter 3, verse 16, God's informing Eve of, of the consequences of sin in her life, and he says this, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In other words, you will have conflict now with Adam. There's a breakdown in the relationship. You never had that before. There's never been a, a power struggle. There's never been a tussling before. You've been one flesh, naked and unashamed. There's been harmony. It's been joy. And now there's going to be heartache. There's going to be pain. There's going to be struggle. Blah. Sin. It's ruining everything. But praise the Lord, Jesus has come, right, to uh, restore what sin breaks. So sin negatively affects our relationship with other people. But Jesus has come to put right what was broken. And because of Jesus, we can have a, a, our, our relationship with God can be reconciled when we repent of our sins and put our faith in, in Jesus Christ. We receive his uh, death upon the cross as full payment for our sins. We begin to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and we walk in a renewed relationship with God. It's awesome. And, and our relationship with other people can be restored as we learn to love them as God loved us. One of the important roles of the church is it's a place where we practice l relating in a healthy way. So one of, the, one of the purposes of the church is for us to come together and relate to each other in the way God intended, to learn what it looks like to have high-quality relationships, to look like what it looks like to love each other. And this is very important to God. In fact, I want to take uh, a moment here and I want to read uh, the one another, another uh, passages. Actually, I'm not going to read the, the passages, just an excerpt. The one another commands in Scripture. And I want you to notice how specific and thorough God is uh, in his instructions to us about how we are to relate to each other as Christians in the church. So, they're on the screen. Uh, here they are. Here are the positive commands. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another, comfort one another, encourage one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. 
Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Pray for one another. Confess our faults to one another. You know, when a church community practices these commands, put these commands into practice, it creates a wonderful family of God. It, it creates a relational oasis where people who, uh, all they've experienced is the broken relationships of the world can come and, and just bathe in God's love and the love of his people and they can learn what, it, what God meant relationships to be like. And the wonderful thing is, we then take what we learn back to our families, and back to our friends, and back to our businesses. And we show the world what it looks like to relate to other people as God intended. And it's a, it's a beautiful a gift. It's a beautiful gift. Now, for those of us who grew up in a Christian family, uh, this stuff, we, we might have said, well, yeah, that's, that's the way families function. But you know what? For a lot of people who come to the church, they have never experienced people treating them like uh, this way. They've never related to other people uh, with love and, and selflessness and patience and kindness and a forgiveness. Here are the negative commands do not judge one another. Do not speak against one another. Do not grumble against one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not bite and devour one another. Do not provoke one another. Do not envy one another. It matters to God how we relate to each other. One of the things I've, I, I, I've been pointing out throughout this series is that God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be filled with joy. And he knows uh, that uh, one of the things that will bring us joy is healthy relationships. And he wants his church to be an oasis of relationship. So three big uh, takeaways, applications, implications. The first one is um, prioritize key relationships. Prioritize your key relationship. Most important relationship in your life if you're married is with your spouse. You're only one flesh with one person, and that's your spouse. And uh, if that relationship is healthy, boy, it just breathes life into all of you. And if that relationship breaks down, uh, it's tremendously grievous. In fact, uh, one of the things that the 2013 study found is that it was, when people were married, it was the relationship with one's spouse that had the, by far and away the largest impact on their emotional uh, health. And so if the uh, relationship with a spouse went south, was bad, uh, that was by far and away the biggest predictor of depression. Second was uh, family, and then a, a far distant third, friends. So what are your, and, and that, we shouldn't be surprised, that's what the Bible says, our first priority is to our spouse, and then to our family, and then the family of God. And we want to prioritize those relationships. What does that look like? Well, you've got to, first off, prioritize means value it. You know, in your mind and in your heart, you value the relationship. Prioritize also means you give it attention. You give it time. You give it energy. And so uh, to prioritize your relationship with your spouse is you give your spouse, you think about your spouse, 
you give them your time, uh, you, you listen to them when they have need, you help them. Uh, prioritizing your relationship with your mom and dad, with your children, with your brothers and sisters. If you want to have a high-quality relationship, it takes time and it takes energy. As Chris likes to tell me, friends do things together, right? I don't like that. No, I do. Especially if it's you. But it takes, you know, it takes, takes time and takes energy. So prioritize it. So I have a friend. A couple weeks ago, he served his wife divorce papers. And um, they're Christians, they're churchgoers. And so she said, "Hun, let's go to counseling. Let's, let's enter a time of prayer. Let's try to mend this. But he is uh, riled. He's angry and he's... Um, operating out of his anger, and he said no. And he cut himself off from all of his church friends. He won't take anybody's calls. Uh, why? Because he knows that his church friends are going to be pressuring him to reconcile. Because that's what, and that's good, right? That's, that's what God wants us to do. Uh, provoke one another to love and to, good, and to good deeds. So my friend is not right now prioritizing his key relationship. There is no relationship more important than the relationship with his wife. He thinks he can just, you know, exchange her and, uh, and, and move on. But no, it's going to do, uh, it, he will experience a brokenness uh, far deeper than he realizes. So prioritize your key relationships. Um, secondly, avoid distancing or dissolving. Distancing is cut off. Distancing is to say, if, uh, if you don't relate to me the way I want to relate to you, I'm going to distance myself from you. And with key relationships, uh, that's not healthy. Dissolving is to say, uh, I, will, I will lose myself in you. In, in a, for me to relate to you, you demand that I be someone I'm not, and so I'll just change. And that's not healthy either. Because what God calls us to is to love other people. And love, here's, here's love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. Is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Um, I memorized that as a kid in the King James Version. Uh, and when I got married, I very often would go out on a walk and quote back to myself this passage. Why? Because I was all keyed up. Uh, and uh, Sabrina used to just rub me so wrong, right? Uh, and so early in marriage, I, I would have to do this quite often. I would just get so, ah! And I would go and I would rehearse, love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking, seeketh not its own, is not easily provoked, uh, loves no evil, bears all things, believes all things, and eventually I'd get caught on something, believes all things. Ah! You know, I'm not believing the best about her, I'm assuming something. And I, sometimes it would take hours, and I would have to kind of wrestle with the Holy Spirit and, and finally kind of get myself to a place where I was like, all right, I want to go, I want to love my wife. So, giving you good advice here. Love, uh, memorize this passage and then uh, 
work it through. And most likely when you're in conflict, when you have a key, key conflict, you'll realize that uh, you're, you could love a little better. And you can press into that. And then uh, finally, the final takeaway is be present at church. The, the one another passages, how do, we, how do we live those one another passages out if we are not a community? How do you bear with, other, with one another? How do you forgive one another? How do you help each other if you don't know people and if they don't know you? And so God, God wants us as Christians to commit ourselves to a community of Christians uh, and to be, to be known by them and to know them. God, God wants us to be present at church. So here, here at uh, Clearwater Church, um, I recognize that um, coming on Sunday is wonderful, uh, but it's easy to come and to go and to not, be, not to know uh, and not to really do church. And so from the very beginning, we said, we don't know of a better way uh, for people to get in community than journey groups. Journey groups, there's nothing magical about journey groups. It just happens to be gathering people in smaller communities. And so if you don't have community here at Clearwater Church, then please join a journey group. Uh, you can also get involved in a ministry team, worship team, children's team, set up, tear down. Lots of, there are lots of ways to pursue the value of um, relationship at church. The, the key is that you just find one and, and you do it. But God wants you to be known uh, in a church family and to know other people. So often we, uh, we think to our, we, we ask the question, do I need church? Right? And, and when we're in an, a, a healthy place emotionally, we might not feel our need for church. But we don't want to just ask, do I need church? We also need to ask, does church need me? And the answer is absolutely. Here's a quote from Robert Mulholland. When we don't feel like worshiping, the community should carry us along in its worship. When we can't seem to pray, community prayer should enfold us. When the scripture seems closed for us, the community should keep on reading, affirming, and incarnating it around us. And there are times in your life and in my life, there are times when we're the ones in need. And we're the ones who are tremendously blessed by God's people around us continuing to lift us up spiritually continuing to push us toward Christ. And then there are times when we're part of the group lifting other people up. Both of those functions are very, very important. I remember when I was uh, in early high school and I told my mom, Mom, I don't need to go to youth group. I don't need youth group. And she said, yeah, but maybe they need you. And that was a, a mental shift for me. I hadn't thought about that before. Ah, maybe they need me. Well, of course they need me. <laughs> <laughs> and they need you. We need you, right? We need you. So this is not to, this is not to say you can't uh, 
go skiing on the weekend. This isn't to say that you can't stay home when the roads are super icy. can't believe how many people are here today. Wow. You must have pre-heard the sermon. <laughs> so let me end with this. I, uh, I was on a church's website, a uh, church down in Florida, and, and some people had written on, the, on their website what they loved about their church. And I thought this, was, uh, this, this is honoring to the Lord. Fred writes, I love my church because I feel safe, loved, and respected here. Amy writes, our church has made me feel unashamed and blessed through Christ. John writes, I am so thankful for my church because the people here support me just when I need it. Susan writes, through my many faults and failures, my church still looks at me with eyes of love and forgiveness and not judgment. Becky, I am so thankful for my church because it's a place where I'm loved no matter what, through struggles, trials, happiness, and celebrations. And Kevin, I love my church because of the friendliness of the people and the outpouring of love and kindness. We need the church. God has designed uh, the church to uh, love on us and for us to love other people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everyone who's here. We need each, each other, Lord. Lord, I desire that Clearwater Church would be a, uh, an oasis of relational health so people can come from a broken world and step into um, fellowship the way you designed it to be. That, that we can, here we can learn what it looks like to relate to other people in a godly way, in a life-giving way. And then we can take what we learn into our families, uh, into our friendship circles, into our schools, into our businesses. And that through us, uh, people would be attracted to Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.